0: starting a new series today. It's called Marriage for Dummies. Are there any dummies in the house? Uh, if you didn't raise your hand. Wait, let me give you another chance because I don't want to tell you what I was just thinking. Are there any dummies in the house when it comes to relationships? Those of you who didn't raise your hands. I'm going to be nice for now. Once we get in the series, I'm not going to be so nice. So I'll, we'll just say that maybe you're ignorant. Okay? Ignorant doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means you don't know any better. So maybe we'll get better because in a couple of weeks, I'm not going to call you ignorant. Uh, okay, let me give you a couple announcements and then we're going to get rolling. Um, next Sunday is our first Sunday fellowship meal. It's Italian. So we want you to come, and we want you to stay, and we want you to bring some type of food, just and we put it all out there, and we eat together, we have a good time of fellowship. We'll come back in here and pray. If there uh, are certain things that are weighing heavy on your heart, we'll give you an opportunity to come in here and, and to uh, voice those, and we'll pray with you, we'll pray for you. Uh, if you ask us to, we'll continue to pray throughout the week for you. So the, the agenda next week is to have our meal, come in here and pray, and then... We are filming um, and and if you are interested in being an extra in our music video, um, this is one that you 'll want to be in so uh, i can 't tell you all the details, but we will teach you that the the little dance step that you have to do it 's simple my my six year i don 't know how old is john paul eight year old i don 't know six seven eight year old nephew picked it up, just watched us, and then he was able to dance, so uh, you can do it too. Uh, but that's coming up in a couple of weeks. We're filming next week and then hopefully if everything goes well on Easter Sunday, we will show that and, and it should be a lot of fun. So as soon as we finish praying next week, we're going to film the extra part of our um, music video and we want you to come and help us do that. Uh, three weeks, no four weeks, April 22nd, we are having our 101 Discovering Church Membership class. If you are interested in joining New Life, everybody has to go through that, and the reason we do that is we want you to understand very clearly what we teach, where it comes from in Scripture, gives you an opportunity to ask some questions. We'll feed you, we'll feed your children. If you have kids, we'll take care of them. It takes about an hour and a half right after church, so uh, sign up. The sign-up sheet is in the living room. We need to know so we have enough child care for that day and things like that. Um, ladies' retreat is coming up Uh Less than three weeks, ladies, so get signed up. You must sign up quickly if you 're interested in that it 's going to be a great time let 's pray together and then we will jump into marriage for dummies. Father, I just um, I ask you lord to uh, to come in power to this time because none of us has this thing marriage figured out. none of us realized how difficult it would be when we when we were all in love and the feelings were there and and sometimes the feelings are no longer there. And, and God, I believe that you want to rekindle those feelings. And so you need to rescue some marriages today. Um, just as the, the band saying as Wes saying, come to our rescue, Lord. There, there are marriages right here in, in our midst that need to be rescued. There are folks here who, um, who know of family members, loved ones whose marriages are in trouble. And, and they're on their last breath. And God, if, if you do not intervene then those marriages will, um, will end. And so, God, I just pray that you would, um, you would pour out your mercy and your grace on this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeff, I didn't push play or record on that. Is Caleb in here? Yeah, Caleb, get it. If it went off, turned it off and back on, but see if it's recording. Okay, now, I graduated from Baylor University in 1986. That means I'm old. Right, um, 26 years ago. And this week, I thought it is a great week. It's a great time to be a Baylor Bear athletically. In the 26 years since I've graduated, not once have I uttered those words. Not a single time in 26 years. Because, I mean, one sport, we'd be okay. But then we had all kinds of stuff happen, you know, at Baylor. And, and oh man, it was just messed up. But this past year... Robert Griffin III, stud. Not only is he a great athlete, he's a great student, he's a great young man. Won the first ever Heisman Trophy for Baylor University. Woo! Y'all don't care, but I do. And then the men's team and the women's team in basketball, elite eight, baby. Now they both, now the men play today and the women play tomorrow. The men play Kentucky today. I don't care. I mean, yes, I'm going to cheer for them. But if they if they get beat, woo man! Baylor making the lead eight—that's huge. The women are undefeated. They play tomorrow night. Brittany Griner, she dunked again. That lady is tall. I would never play her. She would, she would smack me down. Um, Baylor won a bowl game, dude. Do you realize we've not even made bowl games? Do you realize for the first several years of the Big Twelve, we didn't win a game in the Big Twelve? So it is a great time to be a Baylor Bear athletically. Now, this last week, this last Tuesday, the lady women, uh, the women Bears, lady Bears, women Bears, lady Bears were were playing, and I wanted to see the game, and so I turned it on, and it was towards the end, and it was a huge blowout. So I'm kind of reading, and I'm watching the score, and Janie comes in and sits down, and uh, she sat there for a minute, and then some stats came up on the screen, and she goes, she goes, "Are those are those words fuzzy?" And you know. Eyes and ears are the first things that go when you get older, so we're always asking each other this. I'm not saying she's old. I am. I'm always going, dude, I can't read that. What's the deal? So I look up, and sure enough, man, it's like give you a headache fuzzy, the stats are. And I thought for a minute. "Ah," I said, we're watching on ESPN2. ESPN2 is not in HD. And so I changed it over to ESPN. I said, look at the difference, because it's just crystal clear. And then I go back to ESPN2. Why they put the, the ladies, I don't know, ladies, I didn't do it. I'm just saying they put them on ESPN2, and it, it wasn't as clear. you know. So I don't know what the deal was, but I know that when you watch HD, it's much better, right? And y'all remember when HD was the craze, right, when it first was coming out? Now, I have some pictures, because I can't believe how far we've come technologically when it comes to televisions. Put up that first picture if you would, Mike. How many of you here remember sets like this? This was big time. I remember having that and it was a, it was a piece of furniture and it was heavy. It took a couple of men, you know, maybe a crane, maybe a forklift and, and you put that in there and it did not move. Mama may move the rest of the furniture in the living room, but you don't move this sucker because it's, it's heavy. Do that next one. That was a little bit better because see that one has wheels on it, but those casters, they were, those are terrible. They'd fall off if you moved it very far. Next one, y'all remember this? When when you got when you got the little TV, this was huge techn- technology. You'd put it in the bedroom, but you know you didn't have the big antenna, and so you had the little rabbit ears. And and man, I'm telling you, foil, tin foil works for a lot of stuff, and that helped your reception. And I remember my friends had these in their rooms. They had money. They had these things, and it might be black and white, but, man, you had TV in your room. That was awesome. Nowadays, though, it's more like this. HD, right? Now, besides the clarity of picture, what's the difference between analog TV and high-definition TV? Besides the clarity, money, the cost, right? There's an extra cost. You're going to pay more for high-definition Well, here's the thing, comparing God's definition of marriage, his high definition of marriage to the world's definition is just as stark a contrast as it is between analog TV and high definition TV. The closer you get to God's definition of marriage, the clearer it's going to be, the better it's going to be. The, the the more that, that you're going to see God reflected in the individuals to one another and to a watching world, it's just better. There is no comparison. It's brighter, clearer, more vivid, and it's fulfilling. But i got to tell you right now, just like it's it costs more to have a high-definition TV, it costs more to have a high-definition marriage. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes dedication. It takes work selfish, immature, egotistical people never experience high-definition defi- high marriage the way God wanted them to. I remember when I bought mine, and, and we saved for a long time, and it had to come, and I have the plasma, you know, because plasma TVs aren't as expensive and all that stuff, and it was it was my Father's Day, anniversary, birthday, and Christmas present all wrapped up in one. That's the only way I could get it. I said, Janie, I've got this idea, and so when I put it up on the, on the well, first I had it down on this little stand, then I put it up on the fireplace. But I found out that if you don't have a high-definition signal, you've got a really expensive analog TV, right? Because you've got to have high-definition programming. You've got to have the right cables, HDMI cables. I had all kinds of those little bitty nasty cables that wouldn't work, but you got to get the, the high-definition input to get it to work right. Well, we had the basic equipment, but it didn't work with the rest of the stuff. We had the capability for high definition, but we didn't have uh, the actuality. Here's the thing. For a high definition marriage, it requires a man and a woman and God. If you're not plugged into the right power source, you're going to be messed up. So on your listening guide, let's figure out what went wrong. How do marriages go wrong? First is the wrong power source. When I graduated from Baylor, um, my mom and dad gave me as a graduation present, I got to go with the choir to England and I got to tour England singing in castles. It was just this incredible deal. But one of the things I didn't realize, luckily my friend who was my roommate on the trip, he knew it. I didn't know that they have a different power source in England than you do in, in the United States. If you've traveled internationally, you probably know this. I didn't know that if you plug in your like electric razor into their power source, it goes, shh, boom. I got to find that out. And then I had to borrow my my roommate's razor the rest of the time. What I figured out is you have to have the right type of equipment. You have to plug into the right uh, source. And everyone who attempts to have marriage, to be married, outside of God's plan, it's only a matter of time before it goes, shh, boom. Because God never designed you to have the type of marriage He wants outside of His plan and His will. Look at Galatians 1.10. It says, what I want is God's approval. And I want you to circle those words. I've got that that word, those words, uh, the verse on your listening guide. God's approval. And then he goes to the opposite. He said, am I trying to be popular with people? See, here's the thing. If you in your marriage are trying to please people, if you're trying to please your spouse, if you're trying to please other people, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And they will be disappointed in you. Because honestly... It does not matter what you think about my life and my marriage. Doesn't matter. When I stand before God, I answer to God for for the way I've treated my wife and my children. Doesn't matter if, if you like me, if you think I have a good marriage. It only matters what God thinks. So I'm not trying to win your approval. I love you, but I don't care if you approve of my marriage. I care what God thinks. There's a huge difference. If I were still trying to do so, that is, be popular with people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, Paul is the writer of this letter, he says you cannot please people and God at the same time. Most people, you and I know, they're trying to plug into someone else. They got this 110 power source going on. But what they'll do is, they'll try to get supplied their power from people. All right? Come over here to Rachel. So let's let's say that, that Rachel, and i do this the other way, let's say that I really want Rachel's approval. And I do everything in my life to plug into Rachel and everything to try to get her approval. If If what Paul just said is true, I'm going to be so disappointed in my life and probably she's going to be disappointed in me because I wasn't designed to run on her power. She's not designed to power me. I plug into my wife because we think that marriage is going to going to rescue us from all the problems of life. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We're going to talk about that for the next seven weeks, how dumb that is and how you how you can get into God's high-definition marriage. And so we'll have one that may go to another human being. We may plug into one that says, oh man, I'm going to get my, my source of power from my job. Grab that there, Biscuit. I say, Biscuit is my boss. Wouldn't that be great to have a boss named Biscuit? Gotta be a nice guy, right? If you're, if you're Biscuit. But I do everything and, and I try to please Biscuit so much so that I, I ignore my family. I ignore my church responsibilities. And all I want to do is have Biscuit say, you're an excellent employee and, and promote me through my job. And we got all these different plugs going out to different people trying to get our significance from people. And, and Paul says that's 110. If you're trying to plug into 110, then you're going to be severely disappointed. And it's really, really ignorant. Or if you know better, it's really stupid to expect a human being to fulfill all of your needs. Because you were designed to run on God's power, not human's power. So you're going to be disappointed. Most marriage problems come from this verse, James 4.2. James was a half-brother of Jesus. And he says, you want something you don't have. You boil down the majority of marriage problems. When I'm doing marriage counseling, Janie and I do a lot of it. I love pre-marriage counseling. Everybody's great. They'll do whatever they can before the marriage. But the people that come see me right before they're getting a divorce, they don't like each other a lot of times. And and really, if you if, if you looked at it, most of the time, the problems we have is I want something, I can't have it, I become frustrated. And James goes on to say that you start fights because you can't have what you want. So we're selfish. That's the bottom line. James says we don't get it because we're looking in the wrong place. We're trying to get value in the wrong place. So instead of de- uh, placing demands on your spouse that your spouse can never fill, you need to trust God to meet your inmost needs. All right? So the first one is the wrong power source. How else do marriages go, go bad? Wrong expectations. I don't know any area of life where that we have higher expectations and more unrealistic expectations than in marriage, Right? I'm getting married, all my problems are solved. Dating, courtship, engagement, the whole process is designed for failure. Let me explain. You do things you would never do unless you're dating. For instance, a man will say, Honey, would you like to go to the opera? There's not a man alive, a self-respecting man, (laughs) who would say those words unless he was dating. I, now, some of you actually like the opera okay i 'll cut you some slack, but you know what i 'm saying? We do stuff we would never do otherwise. oh baby, whatever you need i 'll do that for you, even the way we prepare for the wedding sets up this enormous expectation. Our wives, the women go off for like three days and they go through this transformation process where they become this goddess then they they they, they uh, Bring her down the aisle on that day. Never again in her life will she look as good as she does on her wedding day. It's a bait and switch, dudes. I'm telling you. And and to make sure that she looks better than everybody else, what do they do? They make bridesmaids wear these hideous dresses. Have you ever known a self-respecting woman to wear a bridesmaid's dress anywhere other than at the wedding? It is designed to put all of the focus on her. You can't walk in those things. I mean, body parts are all crammed in there where they shouldn't go. They're different colors. It's weird stuff, right? And ladies, what do you do? To get back at them, you try to find something for your wedding that's more hideous than what you had to wear in theirs. <laughs> right? Then then when you get married, on your honeymoon, you go someplace you will never be able to afford again. And it's awesome. But you'll never ever get there again. And it's no wonder it's a letdown. Because our our expectations are unrealistic. And since nothing in life, and I'm, I'm totally serious about this, nothing in life sets you up for greater um, failure of your expectations than, than dating and marriage and all of that stuff, we fall a long ways. And, and we get home and we ask, what happened? Let me tell you what happened. He got home and the true you came out. And, and the true you is selfish. Bottom line. You want proof? Let me just let me give you just a quick proof that everyone in this room is is selfish. If I were to take a picture, if we had this big camera, you know, like you did your graduation picture or whatever, I remember those, I don't know if they still do this, but I remember you'd have to be still for like ten seconds and the camera would pan across. They still do that? This was a long time ago when I graduated. All right, thirty years. And and people would move and so they would look deformed, you know, in the picture. And it's awesome if you didn't move. And they, Okay, so let's say we have this, this camera and we take a picture in here. And I put the picture up on the screen. Who's the first person you look at? Yourself. And if you look good in that picture, it's a great picture. Everyone else could be deformed, have spinach hanging out their teeth, cross-eyed. And you're like, I don't see the problem. That's a good picture because we are incredibly selfish individuals y'all know it's true and the problem is we take that attitude into marriage and it becomes all about meeting my needs and so you talk to somebody who has an incredible spouse and you say how's your how's your uh, marriage and they'll go man it's awesome because because what they're saying is my needs are being met you talk to someone whose spouse is not meeting their needs could be the same spouse she's meeting the needs but her needs are not being met you ask her and she goes, it's not really what I expected. Because we take this attitude, serve me, meet my needs into marriage. And, and see, since, since every marriage I've ever encountered has problems, maybe God's primary goal for your marriage is not necessarily happiness. What if, now I know this is strange, you don't hear this anywhere. What if God designed marriage to make you holy instead of to make you happy? Some of you are going, man, I got got a lot of opportunity to be holy because my spouse sucks. (laughs) Right? I hear it all the time. Now, um, here's the deal. Um, As long as there's not illegal or dangerous activity going in your home, you have an opportunity to be holy. I counsel ladies a lot of times. If there's abuse, if there's drugs, um, I counsel ladies a lot of times to separate physically and let's figure this thing out. And it's a case-by-case basis. There are biblical grounds for divorce. The Bible doesn't command divorce. But the Bible... Hey, bud, you're going to have to quit doing that. You're killing me. Thank you. He's just tapping things and it's freaking me out. <laughs> At least it's not a click. We don't use click pins anymore. Did you all notice that? Because I would go insane. Okay. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. Um, th- there are biblical grounds for divorce. The Bible does not command divorce, but it allows it for adultery... For immorality, and and we look at that on a case by case basis. If you come for counseling, and for um, abandonment, and there's a lot of things about abandonment. So there are biblical reasons for divorce. There's, but but to be honest, most people get divorced without a biblical reason. It's just more convenient. So you have an opportunity to grow if your spouse is a punk. That's that's the bottom line. There, as long as they're not being dangerous, as long as they're not abusing you, things like that. As long as they're trying, as long as two. Pe- do you know that that uh, incompatibility? That's just a word designed by lawyers to make divorce easy. Irreconcilable differences? That's a piece of trash. As long as two people are willing to reconcile, it's it's always reconcilable. All right. So we got wrong um, wrong power source. What was it? Number two. Wrong expectations. Three. Wrong spouse. Now, do not raise your hand. Okay. Don't raise your hand because this is going to cause problems. All right, we, in fact, I was in, in, in Austin with some of my good friends. They were, they were in my youth group. It was really kind of crazy because uh, we're sitting at this table Wednesday night I spoke at this church about Haiti and there's some folks going to Haiti with us, for there's seven from this church just outside of Austin, they were asking questions and then we went to to dinner and the, the couple sitting across from us, they were my first ever wedding, they asked me to do their wedding before I was married because I'm like, dude I've never been married, you want me to counsel you? Yeah, so I'm reading books like crazy, so I do their wedding, six months later, Janie and I get married and then the other couple sitting there I did their wedding, they were my second wedding they were three months after we uh, got married and so we have 21 years each of us have been married for 21 years and uh, this came up in the conversation Cameron one of the guys in my youth group years ago said hey have you ever thought oh dear God I married the wrong person and and I've been around a while now I haven't thought that let me just say that but I'm also not stupid yeah with Janie sitting right there I mean come on And I'm going, are you that ignorant? And of course, he and his wife are both going, yeah, we've thought that lots of times, you know. And I'm going, wow, maybe we should counsel y'all. But here's the thing. You do need a new spouse. But the new spouse is you. You need to become a new spouse and watch what your spouse does in reaction to you. They won't be looking for other spouses because they'll have a new spouse. Does that make sense? Alright, so, now, let me, let me just say this. Here's how we get into this. You've heard the saying that opposites attract. That's in the dating stage. Once it's married, those opposites attack, right? It, it happens. Because what used to be so cute to you when you were dating now drives you nuts. Let me give you some examples. And I think, I think God designed it this way because God has a sense of humor. I mean, bald head, That's he's got to laugh at that, you know, because we worry about that stuff. I worried about it when I was a teenager, that I was going to go bald. In fact, I was in The King and I, and I was the king in the musical, and I wouldn't shave my head because I was so vain. And God's going, yeah, I'll show you, buddy. Anyway, so you understand. So let me let me give you some examples of opposites attracting. People who are very structured in their life tend to seek out and find people who are spontaneous. Why? Because it's different, and we find that attractive. People who are reserved tend to seek out people who tend to be outgoing. There's just something attractive about that. And so what we have to do, we have to realize if we're if we're attracted to people who are opposite of us, we need to not just tolerate their differences, we need to learn to value them. When I focus on how valuable my wife is, her, her uh, estimation in, in my mind goes way high. When I focus on the things that drive me nuts, it brings down her value in my eyes. So I have to train myself to look at the valuable things and say, I would so rather have all of these valuable things I'll put up with a few things because there's really not much wrong with my wife honestly she's awesome she has to put up with a lot more with me but that's it I'm just grateful to God that she does you understand what I'm saying so i I focus on what's valuable about her and and I treat her as if she's valuable when I'm focusing on those things we look at those things that we like now it doesn't mean tolerate it means we value those people now God's sense of humor how many of you are early risers let me see your hand you married an owl early risers like the tweety birds the larks that get up early larks always marry owls is that you know because your spouse right how many of you how many of you that are early risers you married somebody that would sleep all stinking day I mean, we're, we're at my friend's house, this guy that was, that was in my youth group, and his wife will stay up till two or three o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm in bed by eleven at the latest, so we get home after dinner that night and we go up to the bedroom and we're just putting our luggage up there, and Stacy comes to, follows us to the stairwell and goes, y'all aren't going to bed yet, are you? And I was, I was like, well no, we're really just putting stuff down in here, and she said, come back down. And so we come back down and at one o'clock, man, I'm going, I gotta go to bed. You know, and, and Janie could have stayed up, and then she could have slept. And, and that's the thing, though. Stacy will sleep the next day. Cameron got up at 5 o'clock and went to work, and I'm just going, wow, that's that's the way things happen. One of you in marriage is daring and impulsive, and the other is cautious and reserved. Why? Because we need both for balance. When when two of you are exactly alike, one of you is not necessary, right? One of you loves to talk, and the person who just elbowed you is a bump on a log, How many of you love to spend money? Maybe we shouldn't even go there. It's going to cause a fight right here in marriage. You married a tightwad. I would rather vomit than spend money. You marry one of those. And it's a good thing. It causes some tension, but you understand what I'm saying. One of you loves to cuddle. The other one's a porcupine. Janie would fall asleep on my chest every night if I would let her, but I would never sleep. I mean, we have this moisture barrier thing. She'll come over and she'll start snuggling. I'm sweating right now. She'll come over and start... And I have to have clothing or cloth or something in between our skin because as soon as we reach the moisture barrier, I'll go, yeah, moisture barrier has been breached. But she usually feels it. She goes, you're sweating, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. She goes, okay. Because she would snuggle all night and I would never sleep. Ever. And we have a big old king-size bed. And in fact, we're at our friend's house and there's two uh, two double beds. And I'm like... Baby, I love you, but I am not sleeping in a double bed with you, because I will not sleep. So we had two double beds, and I slept. It was awesome. I kissed her goodnight. In fact, on our honeymoon, we had two double beds. We pushed the beds together. Had this massive bed. It was awesome. And she's thinking, I married the wrong idiot, because he won't even hug me when we go to sleep, you know? One of you is neat and organized. The other one, and you're always on time, and the other person is flexible And mellow and late, right? When it comes to sex, one of you is a firecracker and the other one is not. One of you, when it comes to sex, you're like, let's drop everything. And the other one's like, drop dead. I'm not doing that right now. Right? I mean, okay, you understand there are differences. And if you focus on the differences, it's a very short step from I don't like this thing you do to I don't like you. And resentment creeps into your marriage and you're in trouble. Um, One guy said, I knew I was marrying Mrs. Wright. I didn't know her first name was always. (laughs) God's number one tool in growing you up spiritually is your spouse. And so you've got some opportunities to grow if your spouse is kind of difficult. Because what he does is he uses them to, to sand off the rough edges to show you where you need to grow up. Um... The worst unresolved issues in your marriage are not the ones that happened since you got married. It's the ones you brought into them that you learned before you ever got married. Probably before you ever started dating. There's stuff that happened in your past and you have emotional baggage that you have not uh, unpacked. And and you brought a lot of that from your family. So the more pain you had growing up, the more baggage you've got entering into this marriage. And and the more problems you're going to take in there. See, marriage doesn't create problems. It reveals problems problems. It shows the areas of life that you need to work on. So you brought a whole lot of flaws into your marriage and you need to work on those, not your spouse. You don't tell your spouse, well, here's where you need to work. Because really I heard someone say that when you got married, God gave you a full length mirror to show you what you're really like and you have an opportunity to grow. So, okay. If our, if our families set us up because your family set you up for success and failure, you, you learn some good things from your family. You learn some bad things from your family. And if we're set up for failure, what do we do? Well, how do we have an HD marriage? Here's, here's how. First thing is you got to plug into the 220 power source. All right. Um, Rachel asked me this while ago. She said, what is that? Well, this, this is for a dryer. You have a different power source for your dryer, right? She'd never seen one unplugged. So when I was holding it, she said, what is that? So you've got to plug into the right power source. Well, for a Christ follower, the right power source is God. And it comes from, the 2.20 comes from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. I want you to circle that sentence. My ego is no longer central. If we could live by that phrase, our marriages would improve instantly. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. It means that on the outside, I'm not trying to do things just to to impress God. I'm not being religious to impress God. God is impressed by your heart, not by your outward actions. So he's saying, I'm no longer driven to, to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We no longer try to get our power from other people or from our job or from parents or from whatever. We try to get our power from God and it makes a huge difference. So anytime you have this disappointment coming on in your life, it ought to be like this warning light that begins to flash and it signals you that you've plugged into the wrong power source. You need to be plugging into God because with God's power, you can face anything. The most powerful event in history, the most incredible event in history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By coming back to life, he proved that he was who he said he was. He proved he was God. He healed people of diseases. He did all kinds of in- incredible things. He brought other people back to life, but the stamp on the end that says, I am who I say I am, was Jesus coming back from the dead, never to die again. It proved that he was God's son. No one else has done it. No one else will do it, because only God's son has the power to do that. And you say, okay, that's the greatest event in history. It split split history into, into A.D. And, and B.C. And by the way, have you all seen B.C.E.? Um, Really smart people are trying to write God out of the equation, write Jesus out of, you know, because we say um, 2012 years since what? Since Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead or since he was born. And they say BCE, that means before the common era. Instead of before Christ, you know, you'll read that stuff and it's before the common era, And it's really smart people who are trying to get God out of the equation. And those smart people will one day stand before God because the Bible says there was coming a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The sad thing is some of those very smart people that have tried to get God out of the equation, God will say to them, I do not know you. And then all of their wisdom, all of their college degrees, all of this stuff... 'll rot with them in hell, and it 's a very, very sad thing, but that 's a story for another day so Christ was his resurrection was the most powerful in, event in history. What does that mean to me so what well i 'll show you so what, according to Ephesians, it means a lot for you ephesians one nineteen and twenty how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God? Power is available. But if you have this wired onto the back of your uh, dryer and this thing laying in the floor and you go to turn on your dryer, does it work? It's going to take a long time for those clothes to dry. And they're going to stink. You know, you ever been in there when you thought you were drying them? Oh, man, It's nasty. And so you have to actually plug in. It doesn't matter if you have a 220 plug there. If it's not plugged in, you never receive the power. So he says the power, the same power is available to us who believe in God. The same power demonstrated when Christ was raised from the dead. God says, the power I use to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is available to his followers. And the most important place you can use that is in your family. Are there any marriages that need resurrecting? yes. Marriage and family is where we need the power of God the most because if God doesn't work in the home, he doesn't work anywhere. If this stuff doesn't work, then, then we're in trouble. And, and so if you're single, how does this apply to you? Well, since 90% of all singles will be married at least one time in their lifetime, I think maybe you should pay attention. If you're divorced or, or, you know, if your spouse has passed away or whatever, you may get married again. And at the very least, you're going to have family members who get married that may come to you for counsel. So you need to pay a little bit of attention. Second thing we need to do to have an HD marriage. First is plug into the 220. Second is get over yourself. <laughs> Most problems in, in marriage would, would be taken care of if you followed this next verse. Philippians 2.4. Care about them, meaning your spouse in this case, as much as you care about yourselves. Root problem in marriage? Selfishness. Serve my needs, forget about you. Most marriage people need to grow up. Most married people need to grow up. So if the, if the purpose of marriage was just to enjoy an infatuation, you know those, because you know what it's like to date and you know what it was like the first time you held hands. I remember the first time I kissed Janie. Man, she looked good. And she had on lip gloss. She's always got something on her lips, and man, I just, oh man. And and I used to because we lived in separate towns. We didn't live in the same town until we got married. And man, when I would see her, I just want to kiss her, just want to hold her hand, just want to hug her, you know. And that was that was awesome. And I'm not saying it's not awesome now, but it's a different mar- different type of feeling after 21 years of marriage. Honestly, you know, my my heartbeat doesn't just go racing every time I see her now. Now it's more like, ah, oh, that's, that's my wife. I always want her around, and I want to be near her, but I don't have the tingles. You know what I'm saying? The tingles, you remember that? You can't get to mature love until you grow past the tingles. I remember my dad, and, and you know, my dad, y'all have heard me tell stories about him, but I remember when I was a teenager, and I was so messed up over some girl, and, and my dad said, in 20 years, son, will this really matter? And I'm going, I don't care about 20 years, I care about now! And honestly, I don't remember who the girl was. But I remember what my dad said. And it's true. So you got to learn to get past that. You've got to mature past the tingles. And I don't care how in love you are. You've got to grow past the tingles to get to mature love. And mature love is about a decision. It's about a commitment that says, Come hell or high water, come death. I will be true to you. That's mature love. And it doesn't happen while you have... The tingles, um, so don't follow Hollywood because they get new marriages all the time. Every couple of years, the tingles wear off, and so they go find another one, right? And then they try to tell us stuff like they're so smart. Um, your meat, your, your meat, your mate will make mistakes, and you have two choices when your spouse makes a mistake. You can rub it in, which will not get you where you want to go. Or you can rub it out. Look at Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining spouse. (laughs) Did you know more marriages have been ended by bitterness than by adultery, abuse, um, or alcoholism, drug abuse combined? More marriages end because of bitterness. Because it's a poison that, that doesn't just eat you up it eats up the relationships around you. And, and that's the thing about, about this poison, bitterness. It doesn't affect just you and your spouse. It, is, it affects you and your children. It affects other people. It affects people you work around. Because you know people who are bitter. You can look at them and you can see they're bitter. And you can watch them drain away the life, literally drain out of their bodies. Because the bitterness eats them up. So we've got to get over ourselves and get over our bitterness. Alright, number three. Become a new spouse. You don't need a new spouse. You need to become a new spouse. We talked about that. Folks who divorce and remarry have a higher divorce rate than those who've only been married once. All right, Let me explain this. First marriages in our country end a little bit less than, than 50%. I mean, they last, you know, 50% of them are just a little bit less end in divorce. Second marriages, 60% end in divorce. Third marriages, 75% end in divorce. You know why that is? Cause we never fix me. No matter how far I run from the problems of this marriage, I'm still there. And I take all of the problems from that marriage into the next marriage. And then I have twice the amount. And if I get divorced from that, if I say, oh, I just can't stand this anymore, I take that and I go to the next one and I have more. And I multiply the damage that I'm going to do in that next marriage because of all the emotional baggage that I have. I've got to... The best thing you can do for your marriage is get emotionally and spiritually healthy. Many of you who have been divorced let me just be real gut level honest with you if if you're divorced you should not date for for a year because you are not ready and some of you are just going to get mad and that's okay i don't care cuz i'm not trying to please you i'm just trying to tell you the truth because God has to do some stuff in you emotionally and spiritually before you can ever become the person that God wants you to be, and you have to become that person before you can experience a high definition marriage. So you need to become the new spouse before you even get married. Look at uh, look at Proverbs 18.1. People who do not get along with others are interested only in themselves. They're selfish. So you're going to have to accept responsibility for your part. Galatians 6.5 says each person must be responsible for himself. You can't control your spouse's actions. You couldn't make them fall in love with you. You couldn't uh, make them stay in love with you. You can't control any of that. But you can control your response to them and to your situation. So you start on you, not them. And you accept responsibility. Number four. You live with a covenant, not a contract. And... uh I will say this, you know, my parents haven't had the, the, the smoothest marriage, but they've been married 67 years. On the cruise a few weeks ago, we celebrated their 67th, 67th wedding anniversary. And, and I think that my parents got this part right, this part here. We live in a contract society. You sign a contract for a phone. They know we're stupid. We want the newest phone. So we sign a two year contract. And then Jane, I've decided most phones last a year, right? Right about a year. They don't last two years. They start going haywire, and then you, and they give you an upgrade. They tease you. You can upgrade at this point if you'll sign another two years. You know, we sign contracts for our our houses, for cars, for all of these things. The problem is, God didn't design marriage to be a contract um, relationship, it's a covenant relationship. Let me explain this. In the Old Testament, when a person would be in covenant with another person, let's say that you and I are going to go into business together. We're gonna to, we're gonna buy land or something like that. We're gonna do this thing. Um, so let's say Matt and I are going into to business together. So Matt and I would get the elders of the town. We would go to the city gate because that's where the elders and the the people would um, would gather, and they would be witnesses. So Matt and I would go and we would get an animal and we would split that animal in two and we would lay a half over here and we would lay a half over here. And then all the people around would be witnesses. And so I would say to Matt, okay, Matt, this is my walk of death. My word to you is is my bond and I'm going to walk between these two halves of the animal and I'm going to say to God as my witness and I'm going to say to these witnesses around me, may God do to me as we did to this animal if I break my commitment to you. This is a walk of death. It requires blood. It requires something to die. And so I walk through that and I say, Matt, I'm offering you my life and my word that I'm going to do whatever I said to you I was going to do. And so then, I would stand back and Matt would say, same for me. I'm offering you and I'm going to walk through this and God, may you do to me and may the, 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 the citizens do to me what we've done to this animal if I break my bond. Too often... We have treated marriage as a contract, not a covenant. Now, again, I'm not saying there's not biblical reasons for divorce. But usually it's a matter of convenience. And honestly, I don't think anybody realizes this. Have you thought about the symbolism of, of wedding ceremonies? Why there is a center aisle? Why there, why there is a bride side and, and a groom side? The symbolism is, that is a walk of death. I don't think many people realize that's the symbolism. They might not want the center aisle. Because they're saying, may God, may you do to me. And they want to be married in a church. Tony Evans says, have you ever noticed that people go to the church house to get married and they go to the courthouse to get a divorce? And he said, do you think maybe God wasn't in the divorce? Maybe you come and, and you talk to people who are wiser. In, again, this is not to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you look back and say, oh, I'm divorced, I'm, I'm a horrible person. No, not at all. What I want you to do is I want you desperately, I want you to have a better future. And I tell people all the time, I don't care about your past. I, I do a lot of visiting at the jails and stuff, and, and I tell people all the time, I don't care about your past. I don't think God cares about your past. I think God cares about your future. And the way you did it before, if you're divorced, the way you did it before, probably... I don't know you, so I'm not trying to judge you. The way you did it before probably didn't honor God. So let's honor God this time. Okay? So this is not bash divorced people. I want divorced people here. And if you come to me and you're divorced, we will work through some stuff and I will counsel you. I'll do premarital counseling to try to give you the tools so that you have a high-definition marriage. But you, you've you got to listen to what God says and not what people say. You've got to plug into the 220 power source, not the 110. Are you trying to please people? Or are you trying to please God? And so we need to turn marriage into a covenant. Weddings are filled with, with all kinds of forever words. Everything is perfect. And everyone's faking it. And I say that because... Until you get married, you don't know how hard it is. Marriage magnifies every problem you have. Marriage magnifies every flaw that you have. And some of you are going, I ain't ever getting married. Good. But let me tell you this. If you want to serve God... And you want to be free and not have... If you want to serve God, then don't get married. Serve God. Because you can do a lot of stuff. But if you want to look like Christ, by all means, get married. Because I believe God molds you and shapes you to look like Jesus Christ as you follow His plan for high-definition marriage. And when you get to the end of your life, your kids should look at your marriage and say, that's what I want. I want to do it like mom and dad did. That only comes when you follow God's plan, and it comes when you say, "Come hell or high water." My parents, like I said, they've they've gone through, they've gone through the Great Depression. They weren't married in the Great Depression, but they both went through that. Um, dad was in World War II. He actually went AWOL to to uh, marry my mom. I'm not going to suggest you do that. Um, that, but she she became a hardship, and, and this is my dad. He had enough points, enough hardship points to get out of the military when he came back from Guadalcanal because he married my mom. And he said, she's been a hardship ever since. I'm like, wow, dad. You're not a very bright man. I love you, but you you don't say things like that in front of your spouse. Um, But I will say, they have gone through some of the most difficult things I've ever seen, and they have stayed together because they believe when you say, I do, in front of God, you never say, I don't. You never turn your back on that commitment. And, and if God leaves me on this earth, I want to be one of those 67, 70 years of marriage because that's not heard of anymore. It's very rare. We go on these cruise ships and they'll always say, um, how many of you have been married? 20 years, 30, you know, and they'll go up and, and you know, it goes down significantly and, until very few people, there can be thousands and thousands of people on the ship and one or two couples will make it past 50 years. Janie and I are in a ballroom dancing club, and and what I'm dating my wife all the time. What man is right mind would go ballroom dancing on a regular basis, right? Now I enjoy dancing with my wife, and we were once a year they you know the, whatever your your anniversary month is they they have you stand up and then you get to dance the first dance and so all this stuff. And and last year they introduced us and they said they've been married 20 years, and there were gasps in the crowd because we're like the youngest people there, and. And we've been married longer than most of the people in our dancing club that are 70, 80 years old. And 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 what's sad is a lot of those cases, it's not a spouse who died. It's just they decided to live with a contract instead of a covenant. I don't want to be one of those people. We're we're talking about weird, you know. I want to be the weird couple that 60 years from now, if we're still here, I ain't going to make it that long. I'd be 107. I would like to still be married to Janie and still be dancing with her. Because I said to her, I am committed to you, come hell or high water. Some of you have never experienced, you've never seen a high definition marriage. You've never experienced that. You didn't get that when you grew up. Some of you are not in a high definition marriage now. You need to claim this verse. This verse. It's Romans 4.17. It says, "...this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing." Now, long story, if you know the the Old Testament, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, and, and then God provided a way that he didn't have to sacrifice his son. But the most important part is Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing." Some of you need a resurrection of your marriage. you need something new created out of nothing. So I want you just to bow your heads for a moment we 're going to pray and we 'll be dismissed. You have to understand that God is the starting point of a high definition marriage, not the ending point, not the, not the last resort. If you want to go, if you want to last, you both have to be committed to doing things god 's way, and it 's not always the easy way. But I'll tell you, it's the best way. 21 years later, Janie and I in May, 21 years, we'll be married. And I can't imagine my life without her. If if we went back, I'd do it again. I'd marry her again. We've had ups and downs. We've had fights. We've had struggles. But I'd choose her all over again. And I hope that you can say that. And I hope that, that if you're married and you're here today, I hope your spouse and you are both going to say, man, we, we want to do it God's way. It takes two people to make a marriage. And, and when you violate your promises before God, that's not a good thing. God holds you responsible. When I do a, a marriage ceremony... I say, God will hold you responsible for everything you say in His presence today. And we treat it like it's nothing. So we got to learn. And we got to make some commitments. Even when the feelings aren't there. Father, it's my prayer that You would resurrect some marriages today. That You would give some husbands a clue that You said we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Whether she acts like The woman that we want her to or not, you said we're to love her like Christ loved the church. And we need some men to be men today. Quit being infants. Quit being boys to stand up and say, I'm going to answer to you, God. And I'm going to plug into you, God, regardless of how my wife acts, what she says, what she does. I'm going to follow you, God. We need some women to quit acting the part of the Holy Spirit because as far as I can read in Scripture, there's only one Holy Spirit God. That job description's filled. So we need some women to follow you regardless of the cost. That when their hearts are broken, they come to you and they don't they don't strike out with mean words. We desperately need marriages that are different from the world. When people begin to see that, they'll be drawn to you, God, because they'll say that has to be another world. That has to be love of a different kind. So, Father, I just pray that you would reveal to each of us what we need to know, what we need to do, and that you'd change us from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're single, fill out your your registration card. If you're single, I want you to answer one of three things. In the marriages that you've seen, the majority of them... Have they been plugged into the wrong power source? Have they had the wrong expectations? Or have they been the wrong spouse? Not they married the wrong spouse. We went through that. All right? So if you're single, the marriages that you've seen, has it been wrong expectations that, that messed up? Wrong spouse, they've been the wrong spouse, or wrong power source? Just write one of those down. If you're married, all right, we always ask you to determine what God's saying to you today. So there's four options for you if you're married. Which thing did God show you the most today that you need to plug into? First is, do you need the 220 power source? You've been plugging into 110 or 220? Second option is, do you need to get over yourself? You don't get to answer for your spouse. This is you, right? You don't get My spouse needs to get over himself. Right. No, okay. Do you need to become a new spouse? Or do you need to remember that marriage is a covenant? One of four things.